I don't know if anyone's actually said that to you from a microphone today, but Merry Christmas. Yeah, okay, cool. Like, maybe I did something for the first time. Oh, guys, I'm so excited about starting this new series today, Light of the World. Uh, there was something and is something quite different about our stage, and I'm so grateful for all those who put the time and effort into making uh, something that just really Really, the creativity reminds us God is the light of the world through Jesus Christ. And then we have all these shooting stars to the right and left. It's going to get even better by the time Christmas Eve rolls around. This follows on the heels of uh, the, the shadow king. Because, like I said, uh, David gave us a shadow or a, a foretelling, I guess, kind of a hint of uh, the kind of person that Jesus would be. So there's no big secret that what we're talking about, Jesus... Um, is the light of the world. He said so. John wrote it down. John also said when he said that, let me tell you, I'm not sure I understood it. So what I'm going to go for today, you know, no swords. I have no swords. And though it's Christmas, I have no reindeer. I have no sleigh. Uh, I am an elf. I guess that qualifies. But what I'm going for today is more caught than taught. In fact, Leanne is my, my, my right-hand man. She is more than half the man I am. I'm so grateful for her. She helps put the stuff together on the screen. I gave her one thing, and then in my notes, I highlighted another. So whenever you get to the fill-in-the-blanks, just roll with me. I'm 60-something. And um, see, I can't even remember what that is. Uh, come on. I want you to just lean into this and, and feel and experience what I'm trying to tell you today, because I feel like that's what this guy John had, uh, had to say to us. One, what I want to do is I want to examine uh, what Christmas means and what difference it actually could make. And I might burst into song along the way. I'm just telling you, this is going to be a free-for-all today. Because if you notice, the title of it is Most Wonderful, which makes me think. And Leanne actually tried to teach me how to waltz, which that's, yeah... That's a miracle that hasn't happened yet. But one of the good waltzes from Christmas is, It's the most wonderful time of the... Come on, I, it's not a solo, come on. <laughs> With the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer. Ah! It's the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah, okay. So we're going to sift through that. Because we've already had testimony. We were talking about it as a worship team before the service. For some of us, Christmas fairies. It's like Harley Waite started singing Christmas songs back in July. Others of us, is like, if I can make it through December. <laughs> right? And I'm not trying to make divisions. I'm just saying, it's complicated. You know, if Christmas had a Facebook page and under relationship status, it would say complicated. Am I, am I using that right? Because like, I've been on Facebook like three times in my whole life. Um, I would say this, and you'll appreciate this, Bethany. Christmas is a lot, isn't it? Yeah. Christmas is a lot. And I'm just uh, trying to be transparent with all of you. I do like Christmas, and I have fond Christmas memories. But whenever you work in religious circles, Christian religious circles, the two days that you love and dread at the same time, are Christmas and Easter. You know, for a lot of different reasons. There's a lot of expectations placed on things because we've come as a society to believe that Christmas demands some sort of production. 
Y'all, at my age, I'm all produced out. I, I don't know what else to say. And then at Easter, yeah. And then at Easter, people like, Pastor, what do you think you're going to preach on on Easter? I don't know. I think I'll go for the resurrection. <laughs> you're you're kind of limited. And you're like, how can I be more creative about the birth of Jesus and about the death and resurrection? They're just, it, they are what they are. And then you have to deal with folks who are like tuning in with us. Or maybe you walked in because your mama made you be here today. And you're skeptical about the whole thing anyway. It was like, yeah, that book that you read from, that's just a bunch of myth. And, 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 and made up stories. And go, you don't get out much, right? <laughs> that's what I want to say to you. It's like, just because you heard that, don't take it for face value. Because there is more going on here than you know. And then I made a list, and I, I cannot remember it because it is so long, and it is not complete. But just understand that as Americans, Christmas is so complicated. Amen. Here's my list. Christmas is Frosty, Rudolph, St. Nick, Santa, Scrooge, Joseph, Shepherd, Stars, Candy Cane, Snow, Wise Men, Elves on Shelves, Mary, eggnog, naughty, nice, mangers, drummer boys, holy nights, silent nights, presents, trees, fight, light fights, family fights, cookies, caroling, and the list just goes on and on and on. And I don't know about all the other guys in the room, but I'm saying at some point, as a guy, the older you get, it's like, bah, humbug, I can't even keep up. Just tell me where you want the lights hung, I'll do it. Maybe we will get through this without a fight. <laughs> but there again, Christmas is also, I think even more than Thanksgiving, is when family, they don't just come by for a meal. They come and stay at your house. <laughs> that brother-in-law. I'm just telling you, I've heard your stories. I've got a few of my own. A lot of you think that uh, Christmas vacation is not fiction, it's a documentary of your life. Because you haven't got just one cousin Eddie, you got a bunch of them. And then they come to your house and eat your food and stay way longer than they're supposed to. And your only place to hide is in the bathroom and you look in the mirror and go, dear God, when is this going to be over? And that's why, I'm not trying to be cynical, but that's why I'm saying when people say, do you have the Christmas spirit? It's like, I don't even know what the Christmas spirit is. I, what is that? Because whenever we refer to that, we're often referring to Charles Dickens and a Christmas carol. The ghost of Christmas past, present and future, and you're supposed to be all generous. It's like, well, I can't argue with that because obviously Christmas does, if you dig down deep enough, you realize it was about a gift, the most wonderful gift but is this the most wonderful time of the year i like christmas as we've come to understand it in culture for the music really do i enjoy all the music well not all next time i go to walmart and they're playing all i want for christmas is you for the 17th time <laughs> somebody's gonna get hurt i'm just like and that's why I say, if you go, uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Well, it could be. Is it? I don't know. That's kind of up to you, kind of up to me. 
And plus, I just asked the question, is that actually true? Or are we just as a culture trying to fool ourselves? And if it is the most wonderful time of the year, how is, it, how is that even... Why? Why? Like I said, I think it's very complicated. Here's another thing that makes uh, Christmas, I think, very different from Easter. Easter, yes, it comes down to Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You have Good Friday, you have Easter resurrection services, and you celebrate because it is an event. It is the folding point of all human history. It is because Jesus Christ came back to life that we're even doing any of what we're doing right now. But whenever we pause to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ and set in motion, it's kind of like having a baby. You go, no, it is having a baby. That's what it was about. Yeah, okay. It's a joke. But I'm saying, instead of just one day, Christmas is a whole season. And if you do leave it to Walmart, it starts somewhere around um, Labor Day. But realistically, at, you know, in most people's houses that I know, it starts somewhere around Thanksgiving. And then you have a whole season. And you have a whole season of expectation. Which is why, and there's been whole kinds of psychological tests and all that kind of stuff. But Christmas brings so much with it that I guess one of the ways you could say the Christmas season is, is that it amplifies everything. Whatever's good going on in your life, it amplifies it. You associate that with that good thing with Christmas. It's like, oh, I can hardly wait until it comes back around because I get all the warm, fuzzy feelings. But then a lot of you, like I have, have lost loved ones in this past year or you have in the past lost someone or maybe something came apart in all of your relationships and every recurrence of Christmas brings back the pain and it just stabs you one more time. It amplifies that pain because they're not here or that's broken. So it amplifies both the good and the bad. Aren't you glad you came to church today because it's like this is like group analysis or something? I would also say that while it amplifies things, Christmas, because of what it is and why, how we do it and all this stuff, even though it's a season, you get down to that day, which I need to do a vote. How many of you open your gifts that you exchange? Because see, there's an obligation as well, that you, uh, you know, uh, exchange gifts. How many of you open your gifts on Christmas Eve? Because see a show of hands. I got mine up because that's when we do it because Santa comes on Sunday. Or I mean on Christmas Day. How many of you open your gifts on Christmas Day? Man, so many of you are wrong. Um, <laughs> everything gets compressed because you got to have the right pajamas at the right time, and if the kids don't get up at the right, it's just—it's crazy. Christmas can be so so crazy. Now, let me tell you some of my sad stories. I'm not passing the microphone around because I know you've got your own sad stories, and 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 we want to hear them. But I'm telling mine today. Now, you're going to think this is weird that I start off this way, but my sad story starts with the fact that I am an only child. You're going, oh, wah, wah. <laughs> let, me, let me heap a little bit more on there. I was the only grandchild on one side for 16 years. <laughs> you say, how's that bad at Christmas? You got all the gifts. Yes. And it was wonderful. And then you get married. And then they love her more than they love you. Amen. Here's another blessing that's so odd that you want to complain about it. And that is, I had all of my grandparents until I was into my 20s. Which is wonderful. I was so loved. 
and then you get married. And your grandparents want you at their house for the expectation of Christmas. And I marry a woman whose grandparents are also, practically all of them are alive, and they only live about an hour and a half away. So in everybody's mind, it's like, well, then you can be over at our place on Christmas Eve, and then you can come over to our place on Christmas morning, and then you can come over to our place on Christmas night. And you're going, <laughs> just kill me now. And then you hear your parents say, well, you should have heard your grandmother after you left. Why did they have to go over there? Well, mom, because they have grandparents over there. And you're going, I can't please anybody. It's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> I remember us actually in that Mustang too that you had when we married. We, we were driving that. I remember us arguing and crying on the way from one Christmas celebration to another. Now that we are our grandparents' age, I'm, I'm of the mind. I don't have any grandkids, but you know, when family comes, I, my two favorite sights. The headlights when they come, taillights when they go. So, are you with me? Do you have stories like that? Yep, okay. And they involve parents, they involve siblings, like I said, your cousin Eddie or lots of cousins. And then, for me, you layer on shorter days or, you know, shorter uh, amounts of light. And I, 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 miss, I miss the summer. And then, you know, why not during the whole month of December, let's have more parties than we have all during the whole year. And let's all show up and we've got to have all this preparation, gift giving. And then guys, and, 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 and well, not just guys, that, that's, that's not true. I'm just saying, you may be raising kids by yourself, sir, ma'am, and you have your job. And then you have all the gift giving and you just have all the stuff. And on top of that, it does have to do with this relationship. You have more people with you than normal. So I would say Christmas can be the most wonderful time of the year. But this is where filling in the blanks. Just roll with me here. Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year because of what's happening. And save a little room. I want you to write out there to the side... Uh, Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year because of who is with you. That's not why it is. If you dig down to where this actually it, it, um, lives, that's not it. It's not because of what's happening and all this, this stuff I've been describing. And it's not because of who's staying at your house or, or whoever you're with. To pick up something I said last week, your circumstances have absolutely nothing to say about the faithfulness of the, or the character of God. And if Christmas actually does go back to its name, the mass of Christ's birth. You have to remember, the circumstances um, are not, the, yeah, don't go chasing a feeling. Ooh, I'm hooked on a feeling. I'm high on believing. In spite of whatever drama you're going through during this season, no matter how complicated it gets, no matter even if your feelings get hurt, Christmas can be the most wonderful time of the year if you go back to what it's about. Amen. But you have to see it for what it really is, and I hope to expose Christmas in a little different way perhaps than you have ever heard before. Because in this Christmas season, I'm inviting you to look, look past what's happening now and see what was happening then. Okay? 
Here's another thing, just to get you to think about, you know, what's going on in your life. Because I don't want to just talk to hear myself talk, and I don't want to just give you stuff. I want you to think about stuff so you can apply it. I want you to walk out of this place or turn the television off from this stream and say, I think I'm going to live differently because of what happened there. So I think if we're honest, and if you've lived long enough for sure, and you're willing to admit it, Around this time of year, the what's happening and the who's with you reminds you of a few things. Write this down. You get reminded of problems you cannot solve. Because I guarantee if you've been thinking about this since January and all those goals made, there's some problems that you had all these great resolutions for and you still haven't solved that problem. Or if you want to make it a wide scope, there's war in the Middle East. I certainly don't want to lessen what's going on because war is hell. That war has been going on for 3,000 years. It's sad. Those are problems I don't think that we can solve from war in the Middle East to the feud that you have in your family room. There's just problems that you can't solve yet. Go ahead and write this down there. Look around the people you cannot control. I mean, you really do want to hug them. Real, real tight. you can't control them. Might be your boss, might be your employee, might be your parents, might be your teenagers. It might be your neighbors. And Jesus tells me I'm supposed to love them. But I simply can't control them. Here's another, and that is expectations. I think at this time of the year we have come down to the end of the year and we have all these expectations, but we have expectations we can't meet. I ask this. What do you buy for somebody who's got everything? Or everything that they want? That's a hard expectation. You know what's even harder expectation than that? Is to try and live up to the expectations that people haven't even told you about. Unspoken expectations drive me crazy. Because I've had people get really, really livid and mad at me. And then I ask them, why are you mad? It's like, well, I was expecting you to do like, well, you never communicated that. That's hard. And if we're honest, here's where it gets a little bit more, I'm going to get a little closer, I'm going to cut down to the quick a little bit more. I think if you're honest and you're trapped in the bathroom because you don't want to go hang out with Cousin Eddie, and you look in the mirror, if you're honest, you painfully realize, I am the problem I cannot solve. (laughs) Try as I might, I still can't keep it between the lines. You know what? I am the number one person I cannot seem to control. I even make up my own rules and can't even stick with my own rules. And I am setting expectations that I can't meet, much less anybody else. And I'm not sure I've actually communicated my expectations to the people closest to me. I just think if you get down to the honest truth about who you are, you do agree with me that we are a colossal collection of moral fallops. We do have our better days and we do okay on some things, but left to our own devices, we literally stumble around in the dark because not a single one of us has actually lived and decided and worked through this day that we are living today. We've had a little bit of preparation because those who've gone before us have told us to watch out for this, watch out for that. But honestly, there are things that we're confronted with we don't know the answer to. There are problems we can't solve, expectations we can't live up to. 
And that's why a lot of times, and I do hear this from guys, it's like, I'm doing my best, but it seems my best isn't good enough. That's hard. And if you actually do listen to your heart in the quiet moments, at least I do this, I have secretly wondered, what's the point? Why am I doing this? And I hope you never get to that point of desperation, but if you do, I'm here to tell you, you ought to remember what I'm telling you today. Been there, done that, I got a bunch of t-shirts. Because what you're going through and what you can't seem to figure out, it does matter, but you've got to sort out some things. If you can agree with me that Christmas is a lot and that you are going to be honest enough with yourself to admit that Christmas can be a mess, maybe you're in the right spot to hear what I'm about to tell you. And I want to, watch what I do here. I'm about to shed a little light on all this. Okay? Yep, yep, yep. Because your Christmas could or should be these kinds of things that I'm about to tell you, but it's not because you're going to fix it. In fact, let me say it this way. The fact that your Christmas is not what it could be or your Christmases are not what they should have been is the very reason that God sent Jesus to be born, to grow up, to die, and to rise again. That's why. You may now go to sleep if you need to. Okay. But if you want to fill in the other half of that blank, is that it, Christmas is, or certainly can be, the most wonderful time of the year, not because of who is with us, but because of who is for us. And to do like I actually did on the screen there is Christmas is or certainly can be your most wonderful time of the year if you understand not what's happening, but what actually happened. Because we've turned it into a fairy tale and it is not a fairy tale. Y'all with me? Okay. There's this curious statement made by the guy who's probably the best Christian since Jesus, and that his, his name was Paul. Uh, they knew him in his younger life as Saul, but he, uh, his Greek name was Paul. He said, when trying to explain what he came to understand about Jesus, he said in a, in a letter to his friends in Colossae, he said, in the fullness of time, Jesus came, was born. That's what he's referring to. I love that, the fullness of time. I told you it's kind of like having a baby. Because when you're having a baby, obviously there is the conception, there's the growth, and then there is the delivery of the baby. Which I lived a very sheltered life. And when Leanne came time for delivery, and I was in that room, golly! When the fullness of time was upon her, when the time, whew, some incredible things happen, and I don't even really know how to explain it to all of y'all. And half the crowd's going, oh, honey, you don't have to describe it to us. We've been through it. And the other half are going, yeah, why'd you have to bring that up? Because I'm still passing out from the whole thing. What he's trying to communicate to us, and like I said, there is no real fill in the blank. It, it, this is a conversation. It is not linear. 
What Paul was trying to get us to understand and what I want you to understand today because it truly matters is that God, there is a God and you can know him. And he's not a a, a gray-haired man in long flowing robes and sitting on this throne and like a grandfather. Oh, boys will be boys and girls will be girls. He's God. He is the creator of the universe. And he loves you so much that he actually conceived a plan so long ago that it blows your mind. Because something went terribly wrong. His intent for you and me was to live in good harmony and relationship with him and our forefathers and foremothers decided, you know what? We don't need him. We don't need his plan. We're going to do our own thing. And it, 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 it crashed everything. And he said, but I cannot allow that to continue. I have to redeem the ones that I love. So God conceived this plan long ago and it grew and it grew and it grew at generation after generation until at the exact right time, Jesus Christ was conceived, grew in his mother's womb, and he was delivered. Special delivery. And we talk about the, the how. We're, we'll, we'll get to, how, you know, uh, Matthew and Luke referred to that. But what I want to show you is why? Was it so we could have manger scenes under our trees? Oh, that was another trees. Christmas trees, that's, well. Did you know that there actually is a purpose? There is an intent of why God sent Jesus and why he sent him at the very right time. And if you don't get it any other way, I'm going to tell you. He sent Jesus because there are problems we can't solve. There are people we can't control and there are expectations we cannot meet. Because we... Even you and I together, and, and that certainly this and, and, and all the decorations, that was a cooperative effort. Everything we do at Rock Springs is a cooperative effort. But if we even cooperate, you and I, we are the uncontrollable, insufficient problem. And God is not surprised by that. He knows it. That's why he sent Jesus. God knows who we are, what we're going through. And so, with intent, Jesus Christ actually showed up in the middle of our darkness. You go, you really believe that happened? There is great historical evidence that this happened. I'm about to show you that. But, you know, I think every preacher says this. What I'm about to tell you is the most important. Don't, Don't get anything else. Jesus Christ came to us to show us that he is for us. And that could be the biggest message of hope that you will receive today. You may be thinking, David, how do you know that? I mean, why would you even stand on that and say that? And you say, how do you know that? And I would say to you, I'm glad you asked. See, it's a, it's, it's a way I get to talk to you about it. As I mentioned earlier, we got to sift through it, got to dig down. You need to see it for what it really is, but you need to stick with me because I'm about to tell you stuff, and we're only going to have a very little passage of Scripture. And some of you who are, you know, got your Sunday school tags and going, that wasn't a sermon. He only quoted two verses. <laughs> I want you to understand where these verses come from, and maybe they'll be so powerful that you'll understand something. But for those of you who aren't, you know, Sunday school aficionados, just roll with me. 
This, this, this matters. We're going to look at what is contained in these writings. There are 66 different writings contained in most leather-bound or hard-bound, what we would call the Holy Bible. Uh, sorry, the Holy Bible. Okay? This is what we have. We have, uh, we have 39 of them that were written before Jesus showed up, and then we have 27 of them were written by people who were with Jesus. You say, why do you dwell on that? Because I've actually taken the time to read like, the Book of Mormon. I've read... Um, uh, the, uh, the Quran, and all these holy scriptures that, that other religions purport. For one thing, Christianity has become a religion, but following Christ is not a religion, it's a relationship. And there are some things you need to understand that are different. That's why when you see the coexist, and if I'm offending you because you have this on your car, that's just, it does, that, that's impossible. Because the belief of like five of those are so completely contrary to the others, they cannot coexist because of the worldview that isn't contained in them. But here's the thing. The holy scriptures are, are, are seen in different religions. Uh, one of them was like, yeah, it was given by angels and, and someone got to interpret it. Okay, that's a thing. And then another is dictated to this one fellow and he gets to write it all down. The Bible's not at all like that. It's not even remotely like that. It was written by 40 different authors over a period of about 1,300 years on four different continents. And yet, all these 66 authors and their writings are one cohesive message that leads to one person, and his name is Jesus Christ. How do you count for that? Because nobody got in a back room somewhere and like, okay, now you write about the birth and you write about the... It... See, here's, here's, here's an easy way to think of that. The New Testament, particularly, the part about Jesus... The New Testament did not create the, uh, I mean, uh, the, the New Testament didn't create Christianity. These books that were given, it wasn't like a, a magic potion and poof, we have Christianity. Christianity wrote the New Testament because Christianity was the Christ followers who saw Jesus and then the people who knew them kept telling the story and they wrote we don't know how to explain all of this, but we saw it, and it's true, and we don't know what to tell you, other than he was dead, now he's alive. Everybody, this is very important. We're talking about eyewitnesses who saw stuff, and they wrote it down, and they heard stuff, and they wrote it down, and what, the, what they saw and heard is what they were doing while they were interacting with Jesus, and then there were uh, excellent investigators who spoke with people who knew and saw and heard and experienced Jesus day in and day out. They got to camp with Jesus! Woo! That would be so much fun. They lived at specific places and times in history. And so when you hear what they have to say, and then you grasp what they were going through while they were writing this stuff, to me it gives it more power. It just amplifies it. It gets clarity uh, about what they were writing for and why. And some of you, I can tell you, there's a, there's a feeling in the room. It's like, you're losing me, preacher. Um, listen, listen. There was a guy by the name of Matthew. We call him St. Matthew. Which, isn't it cool? I think in the online, the set decoration makes me look like I've got a halo. <laughs> and I bring that up because we think of Matthew, you know, because you've seen him on, in uh, religious icons and he's got a halo. They didn't have halos. Jesus didn't wear He wasn't the only guy in the, 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 the group that wore a white robe. All that's made up. They were real people going through real stuff. Matthew writes of his experience with Jesus, and he wrote it because he was a former tax collector and an outcast from pretty much everybody, not only in his group, but in society. He wrote this. He paid a high price for it. He wouldn't shut up about it, and they killed him. 
This is historical fact. Mark, he wrote down a lot of stuff. He was not with Jesus, but he was Simon Peter's right-hand man, and Simon Peter was Jesus' right-hand man. And Peter wouldn't shut up about it. Peter talked all the time, preaching the same sermon over and over and over and over. So Mark wrote it down. Luke, Luke is one of the best investigators and historians the world has ever seen. He made so many interviews with lots and lots and lots of people who knew Jesus, including his mother, Mary. And then you realize that these all, all these, most all of them got killed for simply saying, this is what Jesus did, and we cannot deny what we've seen and heard. Wow. Then you turn the page to my favorite account of Jesus, and that is whenever John. Everybody, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? Yes? You with me? Okay. John's my favorite. He was the youngest disciple. He was probably, uh, it's hard to tell because they didn't mark their births as, as, as accurately as we do today. But John was probably about nine, ten years younger than Jesus. And yet he lived in his 90s, which is an incredible thing today. That was almost, people were looking at him like, that's miraculous. He's already read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He writes an account and says, yeah, but the, you guys, you forgot some of these things. That's why when you turn to John, it doesn't read like the same thing that you just read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He's like, I'm going to fill in some blanks. He said, I'm going to write mine and it's going to feel like you were there. Because I was sitting next to Jesus or I heard him say this. So Matthew and Luke are the ones that deal with Jesus' birth scene, the one that we take from. Mark just jumped right into Jesus' public ministry. But Matthew and Luke, they deal with the, with the how. And John says, you already know that. I want to tell you why. Because I was with him. And I came to finally understand why Jesus was born. And struggles to find the right words because can you imagine camping with Jesus? That's number one. Can you imagine camping with Jesus, sitting around the fire, poking the stick in the fire? Tell us another story, Jesus. And then to see him do all these miracles and then to see him die and then to see him rise again. And you go, I don't know how to put this into words, but I'm going to try. Let me pause and back away from him. Have you ever lived through what you consider to be a dark time in your life? I see that hand. Yep. So I don't really have to describe it to you, but it usually involves a lot of pain, a lot of loss. Am I right? Okay. You can look around and, and, and in our world right now, feel a lot of fear. You can feel overwhelmed by it all. That's why I say, if you listen to the news, turn off the news act. Set aside 30 minutes a day and go to one trusted source and listen to the news and turn it off because it will overwhelm you. Because there's political turmoil, social upheaval, War, confusion, dis-ease, that's why it's called disease. It's because it puts us at a dis-ease. A lot of people say, you know, the, the, the times that we have right now are the darkest times. Of, well, some of you can certainly say it's certainly the darkest times I've ever seen. Okay, legit. But they're not the darkest times the world's seen. Whatever might be your personal or global uh, dark time. Do you feel like you could use a, a, a light? Could, it's like, I need some light in this situation. Why would this guy, John, who hung out with Jesus and saw him, all that stuff, why would he have the audacity to say in our darkness, who is he to say that Jesus is the light? Does he have, does he have the chops to say this? Right before the service, I picked this up because... You know, good country song will help you. 
Montgomery Gentry had a song. There's a story that my daddy tells religiously like clockwork every time he sees an opening in a conversation about the way things used to be. Well, I just roll my eyes and make a beeline for the door, but I always end up sorry-eyed and cross-legged on the floor hanging on every word that man said. Why? Because he had legitimate chops to tell that story. I'm just telling you, John's not giving you another nice religious platitude. I want you to understand who he was, why he wrote and the time in which he wrote. Let's do a quick biography. Who is he? He's a very young disciple of Jesus Christ, an apostle. His dad's name is uh, Zeb. His brother's name is Jim, or James, as the case may be, who his brother also was called by Jesus, so that made him an apostle. He was a cousin to Jesus because Salome, or Salome, I don't know, didn't know them personally. But anyway, uh, his mom was a cousin to Mary. Was, his, oh, I was, was her sister. It made them cousins. He was a friend of Pete. He was a friend of Andy. And uh, he, he camped with Jesus and he got to hang out. Okay? He saw all the good stuff, got to hang out. Like, yeah, we're with Jesus. We're his posse. And then he lost all hope alongside every single one of them because they said we thought he was going to be the Messiah. And we're literally watching our friend bleed to death. Now think about that. I have never, thankfully, been in a situation where I watch someone bleed to death. But I do know that when blood is shed, it has a smell. He smelled it. He saw it. He was there. He's literally there at the foot of the cross. Don't have time to go into it, but his arm is around Jesus' mother. Her name's Mary. And then he also had the opportunity to experience literal darkness because it says that the, dark, that the light of the sun just went out. Jesus died. That's hard stuff. But let me get you something straight. In the years to come, it did get easier. His life didn't get easier because after Jesus came out of the grave and he got to hang out with him along with the others with Jesus for a few weeks, there was so much work to do because that's when the church got launched and they didn't have any church guidance. They didn't have any church leadership conferences. They were the leaders of the church and they didn't know what they were doing and they started doing it the best they knew how, trying to love people like Jesus loved them. And because they did that and they were going counterculture, he spent time in jail. He had to relocate. He took Mary. They went to Ephesus, which is over in western Turkey of our day. He takes care of Christ's mother and still does ministry. And of course, he had time to plant churches in different communities. And after he leaves those communities, he'd write letters to say, y'all stay on track, y'all stay on track. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He was working hard. In all likelihood, he had read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because his letter, his gospel, his... This is what I saw with Jesus came so much... Later, and he, he, it's obvious that he wanted to point out things that Jesus said or did that the other guys did not speak of. And then he said, I want you to understand the significance and the implications of that. So he tells us, this is why Jesus was born. This is why Jesus' birth has the potential to be the most significant and most wonderful time of every single year because you remember that Jesus came in the middle of your mess. But he wrote and he declared this at a very terrible and tragic and extremely dark time in history, especially his history, especially his country's history, especially in the history of Israel as they knew it. Let's go and talk about the dominant power of the time, Rome. Rome controlled everything known about the world. Its currency, its language, the military controlled everything. Might makes right in Rome's eyes. 
And they certainly not the only area, but they were an occupied territory, and John grew up in the occupied area. The Romans were the occupying force, and they did it by violence, and they did it by slavery. And if you ever acted up, they would just crush you just a little bit more. He understood what it it meant to be oppressed by Roman occupation, and he understood it his whole life. And now he's the leader of a movement. They called it the way at the time, but following Jesus. He's now one of the leaders of this movement that didn't just make him an enemy to Rome. It made him an enemy to his previous religious community. He's standing in no man's land between Rome and the temple of Israel. Can't make nobody happy. Why? Because he had seen a man die and then he saw him come back to life. And even though all that pressure was on him, he still managed to communicate. And he is the one who coined the phrase, God is love. In the midst of all that oppression from both the political side and the religious side, he still managed to say, but I'm here to tell you God is, not God does love or God's got some love. God is the embodiment of love. I know, because I camped with him. This guy is tough. There's all kinds of stories of what he lived through. He was tough. He lived a long time. He remained faithful to Jesus. And he lost friend after friend after friend, either to death, or they had to go their separate ways to tell the message of Jesus Christ. Heck, this, 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 this guy's brother, his brother James, was the first of the apostles to actually be martyred because he wouldn't shut up about Jesus being dead and then being alive. He knew what it was like. He lived through dark days in which he lost his family, he lost his friends, he lost his freedoms. He even lost his culture because as soon as the Romans got wind that this was all going down... They came and crushed the temple to where it didn't even exist anymore. To to go through all these names, and a lot of you, some of you, you love the history. You're going, yeah, Nero, Nero. During John's lifetime, the emperor Nero sends Vespasian, the general, to Jerusalem to crush a rebellion. Come to find out the Jews are ready for them, at least for a degree. Vespasian rolls in from the north and goes through every town in the north part of Israel in Galilee. And he crushes each town and each city. He kills thousands of people. Thousands of Jews. Thousands of people who are related to John. And the ones that he doesn't kill, he sends them back to Rome and all their slavery markets. They round up all these people. Men, women, children. And they sell them into slavery. John saw that. He experienced that. He felt it. He survived unimaginable horror. Because what what happened when Vespasian got to Jerusalem is he couldn't take the city because it was a walled city. It was a stalemate. Vespasian got called back to Rome. He said, Titus, you're my son. You stay. And you do whatever it takes to bring this city down. Which the, the, the choice he made was he built this huge ditch all the way around the city. And he built a huge rampart uh, alongside that ditch. And what he was trying to do, and he did most successfully, is he tried to starve these people out. 
And so as people inside the city got desperate and they would try to escape the walls of Jerusalem, he would capture them and just to rub their nose in, he would crucify them on top of that ditch in view of everyone that they loved inside the city. There is a, this is, this is from Josephus and he was an accurate uh, Jewish historian. On one day he crucified 500 people simultaneously. John, we don't know for sure, but he's possibly inside the city at that time. I'm just saying, he knew it. Dark, dark days. And then eventually on August, uh, in August of, of 70 AD, Titus finally breaches the wall. The city falls. Josephus, like I said, the, the historian claims that 1.1 million people were killed during that siege. And they destroyed the temple that the Jews looked to as being the only place that God and heaven overlapped earth. Pain, bloodshed, loss, chaos. You think Christmas is heavy? And yet John never lost faith in Jesus. How is that? Because for him, it's as dark as it's ever been for himself, for his people, for his country. And yet he believed and he lived with hope and he urged you and me by his writings and the people that he told that would listen. He said, don't stop believing. I should have burst into song on that one, right? Don't stop believe. Okay. He said there's seven signs that Jesus was doing what he was supposed to do. Don't have time to go into all seven signs, but he said they all point to Jesus. And just like these exit signs, the exit signs are not the point. The signs are not the point. The sign is pointing to life. These signs were pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the life. Here, here's the passage. That's why John writes at the end of his gospel, he says, Jesus performed many other signs beyond these seven. He said, and he did it in the presence of his disciples, all the people that were following. And he said, he did so all these signs which were not recorded in this book. I don't have time or space to write them all down. He said, but listen to me. The reason they were written and what I have written to you is they were written so that you may believe. Not wish, not hope, but believe, because I was there and I saw it, that Jesus is the Messiah that had been predicted. He is the Son of God, and that by believing that, believing onto Him, believing into Him, that He is who He says He is, and that He will do what He said He will do. If you believe into Him, then you may have life in His name. Okay? Now, I'm just saying, you do all the math. By comparison to what John had lived through when he wrote these words, we got it easy. We're inconvenienced. We are discomforted. Listen to me. As John sat down to write this in these darkest of times, he looks back and says, you know what? It's always been this way. Jesus even started. He, 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 he came into the middle of our mess when it was very, very dark because during those years, some 30 to 40 and, and, and even longer ago because you know, he's writing well into the, the 70s, he says, in those years, Herod the Great actually ruled, the Roman, uh, ruled Jerusalem as a, as a client king and he was a madman. You can read it for yourself. He was crazy out of his mind. He killed his own family in order to maintain power. There was nothing the man would not do in order to secure his power. We'll talk about him more next Sunday, by the way. John was there and knew of Herod the Great and all his atrocities. John was literally there and heard Pilate finally pronounce a death sentence on Jesus' life. Because Pilate, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a puppet of, of the Roman Empire, he literally says in one moment, he says, I can't find any, find any reason to, to, to charge this man. And then whenever he sees that the power 
that he possesses is shifting the other direction. He sentences Jesus to die in order to keep his own power and to keep the peace. To which I would go, that's not fair. How could John, in the midst of all of the life of Jesus and the endless days of destruction and death, how could he possibly write anything about life? Because all we see is darkness and death. For me, to understand that he's writing in this context punches it up. Because he's not just giving me platitudes. He's like, I live in the trenches. And I'm just telling you, when I grasp of when he was writing and what life was like, I get more out of reading John because he doesn't really go into the angels and the stars and the shepherds and stuff. Is that bad that he doesn't go there? That was a part of the story, but that's not why Jesus came. I think the reason he didn't write about the angels and all that stuff is that he already knew that people had already read Matthew and Luke. But I think he was trying to help you and me experience Christ. I hope today that this moves off the page that Jesus is this entity out there. I want you to know him. I wasn't there, but I stand on the shoulders of people who were there. I think that John skipped the baby part and went straight to the man part because he wanted to get a message from Christ that he has received, a message about Christ. He wants you to know who he is. That's why in the first part, in his introduction, this is what he says. I walked with him. I talked with him. I camped with him. And he said, I don't know how to find the exact right words, but in John 1, verses 4 and 5, he says, In him, in Jesus, was life. In Greek, the way he wrote it was, In him, life was Not like everybody's got life. Everybody take a deep breath. (sighs) Okay, that's a gift from God. Everybody's got life like that. He said, this is something different. This is bigger. This is broader. This is... uh... He said, it's unexplainable, but it is undeniable at the same time. John is saying, in a dark world that is characterized by death, everywhere I look, I have walked with Jesus. I know that his spirit lives in me, and I'm just telling you, I recognize in the darkness and in the death, I recognize that he is the light, and he is life. I don't know how to explain it, but because I've come to him, I have life, a life that will never end, and I have, I have light that, that, that tells me where I'm supposed to go. He says, it was in that newborn, it was in that grown man, it was, it was something so powerful, so brilliant, that it broke through even the darkness of the injustice that I saw around me and all the corruption that, that, that plagued my society. And then I love this, and, and please don't tune me out. He said, I got to tell you one more thing about that, is that all of that is true. But my friend, Jesus, the Christ, brought something, some of all that life and light, he brought it for everybody. Because he says, I was raised to believe it was going to be a Jewish thing. And I started expanding my mind when I was handing out, you know, hanging out with Jesus. Maybe it's going to be a regional thing. He said, but then I look back on what he said. He said, no. This is an all-skate. Everybody gets in on this. 
And I'm back here in 2023. I'm talking to you wherever you may be. Somebody within the sound of my voice needs to hear this today. If your life is so complicated and stressful because of who's coming to hang out with you at Christmas, you need to listen to what I'm saying. If you feel like life has been so unfair and you feel like the very life is being choked out of you through finances or relationships and it's all happening because of this Christmas, listen to me. Knowing Christ brings life that has absolutely no end. Y'all were more concerned about him than me. Look at me, I'm going to say it again. If you are stressed out and feel like life is choked out of you, do not give up. Jesus Christ and having a relationship with him gives you a life that has absolutely no end. And it starts now. Because if you don't get anything else, I say, God is not against you. Your circumstances lie to you and tell you that he is. God is not against you. He is for you. And not only that, he is with you. In fact, you can't get rid of him. I'm saying John, from his point of view, seeing darkness, death, loss, all these things, he says the best way I know to describe Jesus, the the, the Christ, is he is light and life and he is for all people. And then he adds something you cannot afford to miss. This is what he says in verse 5. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. One more time, the light shines in the darkness and has not overcome it. The words he literally used. This is the same guy who heard Mary Magdalene come back and say, Jesus' tomb is empty and I don't know what to make of that. This is the same guy that was so young and so athletic, apparently, that he outran Simon Peter to the tomb. He's the one who's saying, I was there. Even death did not overcome him. It's still true. It's the same guy who interacted with Jesus for weeks after the resurrection. The same guy who heard Jesus say, now go and do what I told you to do. And so he did, and they went, and they told people about the good news, and they saw people's lives change, that new life was everywhere. He chose words. He says, it still shines. The word he chose means it's shining, and it doesn't stop shining. He chose the words that say, it has not. In other words, it's current and active. It's still going. He says, in spite of all that I've seen, all the loss I've seen, the darkness that I've been through, the darkness of the world cannot put out this light. You know what darkness is, by the way. It's not a thing, it's the absence of light. (laughs) Imagine that John is an old man, because he is old by the time he's writing this, and he's thinking back on that, facing the end of his own days. I think maybe he had a smile on his face. I think when he wrote this, he was going, you know, in spite of everything, in spite of all the world has tried to give us and tried to eradicate this life, this light, this light that is life, they just can't do it. They keep trying. But the darkness is not overwhelmed because the light always wins. Caesar couldn't do it. Tiberius couldn't do it. Nero couldn't do it. Vespasian couldn't do it. Titus couldn't do it. Herod couldn't do it. The destruction of the temple couldn't do it. They even put Jesus to death and that couldn't do it. I believe that these guys were from Texas. And what he said was, Jesus rose from the dead, (laughs) y'all. So, I agree with John. 
I am absolutely convinced, I've staked my life on it, that no matter what happens to me in this life, no matter, and I hope you can see it too, no matter how heavy your heartache may be, or how heavy it gets, or how extreme your fear may be, about today, tomorrow, no matter how deep your depression, and Lord knows that's a real thing, don't you forget what you heard me say today. There is light, and it cannot be put out, and it's, his name is Jesus. And there is life, even though you feel like life has actually been cheated and cheated and choked out of you. There is life, and his name is Jesus, because, as I put there in your note, Jesus is life and light, and he is the life and the light that overcomes the dark. Not metaphorically, really. So this Christmas, would you, when you're reminded of all the problems you can't solve and people you can't control and the expectations that you know you're never going to meet, would you just remember what I told you today? That it's not the most wonderful time of the year because of who's with you. It's the most wonderful time because of who's for you. And it isn't the most wonderful time of the year because of all that's happening around you. <laughs> it's the most wonderful time of the year because of what happened and it happened because God loves you. Your heavenly Father sent his only son Jesus into a dark, dark place to be life and light. He's still shining. He's still bringing light. And I would say, please turn toward him and trust him today. You get it? Good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I love you so much. And I'm grateful, so grateful for an opportunity to talk about these things. I think the context matter. And Lord, like I said, I testify that because of what John had to live through and your constancy in his life, and his ability to call you that you are love. And that Jesus is the light and he is the life. It matters. It punches it up. But none of that matters. It's not just facts. Unless, of course, Lord, we open up our heart, our mind, our soul, our, our, our thinking, deciding, uh, feeling part of ourselves. And we say, God, I can't explain it, but I can't deny it. Please help us as... Christ followers who've been walking a long time and, and maybe we've gotten all rusty in our ability to just see you for who you are and trust you that you love us and you've got our best in mind. Help us to trust that way. Particularly for my friends, wherever they may be, who say, I can't explain any of that, but I know that God's calling me. And Lord, help them to have the courage to bow the knee to you and say, Jesus, I need you to be my forgiver because I am a sinner. And I need you to be my leader because I'm walking in the darkness unless I have you. God, do great work in us and through us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.